Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hello there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, we're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, we're real family friendly and positive, so get involved. Get Get involved. involved. Now, Mitch is here, I'm Ando, and with us is Simon Nelson. Simon, how are you, mate? Very, very good. I mean, it's a good time to be able to feature on the pod after such a great weekend of Australian rugby, so I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Excellent, mate. It's good to have you on as a dyed-in-the-wool Western Force supporter. Uh, It's been a pretty challenging season for you guys, so glad to have someone in that can kind of balance the ledger and stop Mitch and I just talking rubbish about the Force um, and for you to defend them willfully. What say you? What say you? Uh, well, you know, mainly like that's that's the way it went, isn't it? I uh, I harassed you guys by making multiple accounts pretending to be multiple Force fans until you got me uh, involved. So, uh, <laughs> you know, someone's someone's got to stand up for us over here in the West. Maybe there aren't actually like the many many Force fans that we think there are. Maybe there's like thirty it's just me. really it's committed just me. <laughs> with like multiple Twitter and Facebook handles. Maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a secret blue. we have in the West. Have you ever been over here? You wouldn't know. I have, thank you. I have been there <laughs> once and it was a great time. Uh, um, why don't we jump on into things? And Mitch, can you quickly take us through our socials and then the Super Brew results for this week? I'm particularly keen to hear the Super Brew results. Oh, okay. All right. I think I know why. But uh, before we <laughs> quickly, before we dive into that, we will just say that we both Andrew and, and myself were at the Waratahs game last night. So if we sound like we are talking through a trombone or something and just our voices don't sound as crisp as normal it's because we just absolutely shattered our voices hoarse today so we I just sound very manly tonight um, yeah we're just as, keeping as it low yep. just keeping it low <laughs> um but yeah anyway so social platforms we're on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby we're on facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page and we are on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Please do give us a like and a follow on all of those platforms. Diving into the Super Brew results this weekend, we do have James SP or James P, who's taken out the yellow cap on uh, thirty oh, seven, seven points. Sorry, seven points, seven points this round. Uh, second place went to XT eight two eight 
on 6.75. And if we dive into the overall table. Rude. I'm also on 6.75. Bloody brilliant. First time I've had a good round the whole season. So I think I've crawled all the way back up to 86th in the competition. So I'll take what I can get at this I point. I haven't checked how I went. The Waratahs Eight. were not meant to win this weekend. <laughs> I, I tipped yeah, them. they stuffed me I up. I did yeah. the Waratahs. Did they? I thought that was like the people. only one I got right. No, I bet on them, but I didn't tip them. <laughs> I swear you guys post on social media that you were tipping them. So, uh, Mitch was. We're, we're I, was. Oh, I was. okay. I was. That's right. So I'll, I'll fly that flag. I got. I think, I think I got every other game wrong, though. So <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, I've dropped five places. I'm that far down in the, in the comp now. I'm just going for the upset to try and get some kind of big points when everyone else doesn't. So that's why I went with the Waratahs, and it's paid off nicely this week. Let's see what happens in the next few weeks. But at the over, at the end or the top of the comp, we do have Dan Mori in first place on sixty five point seven five points. Nice little lead over the person coming second, which is Kirando or Kieran Ando, uh, sixty three point five points there on, and then Ember in third place on sixty three points. So Dan Mori really uh, up there with two point two five points clear of second place. Well done to you. Very well done. Well, look, tonight we're going to try and keep this pod under three hours. Um, there's just so much that we could be talking about, particularly probably the best Waratahs game since the 2014 grand final. Is that too much of an exaggeration to say, like legitimately? Um, uh, no. I uh, th- no I maybe think. the most unexpected win since. Well, yeah, it was just absolutely incredible. So at the game, it definitely felt like that 2014 yeah, final. Yeah. I gotta say, as a West Australian fan, um, you know the Waratahs have really turned around my opinion this year. Like, obviously, there's the narrative of anti-New South Wales, and you know we felt hard done by being cut out of the comp and everything. Yep, and obviously, yep. we're blaming the central body, and uh, Waratahs were next to uh, the Rebels in terms of my hatred. But you know, I'm, I'm really <laughs> actually I'm really liking them now. You know, they're 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 really carrying the team. Good man. It must be all the great new Waratahs fans you know since being a part of our fantasy comp. Oh, absolutely. Well done. Well absolutely. Done. Um, so there's no better time to do a pod than after a Waratahs win. So we are here. I don't think I've taken off my Waratahs shirt since the match last night. Is that what that um, smell is? Yeah, exactly. It's coming through the airwaves all the way to your place. And so we're, what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to cover very quickly the Wallaroos Internationals before we get into the match reviews from the weekend. Um, we will just briefly touch on the Super, I'm sorry, the Shoot Shield results because there were some awesome, awesome wins across um, the weekend in the Sydney competition, which is awesome. And then we're going to hit up the locker room. Some great questions. I think we're ready to go. Should we jump on into the Wallaroos Internationals? Let's get going. Let's go. Sounds good to me. All right, time to talk some rugby now, and we're going to start things off with a bit of Wallaroos news. So before we dive into some results over the weekend and the upcoming games for the Australian women's team, we have some news that's dropped in the last week or a few days, really, that Shannon Parry has been named as Wallaroos captain for the upcoming test series uh, against Fijiana uh, women's team and Japan women's team, which is a bit of a shock considering that uh, Waratahs captain Grace Hamilton has been the Wallaroos captain up until this point. What are your thoughts around this change in leadership? And I'll throw to you first. Yeah, look, maybe they're just wanting a little bit of a shake-up and a changing of the guard, considering it's been over two years since they last played a game. Um, it might well be that because the um, 
the composition of the group has changed so significantly in those last couple of years that they might have thought it's um, time for a new captain to step onto the scene. So that seems to be a likely reason or a reasonable reason. Um, I don't see, I don't think it's any slight necessarily on Grace Hamilton, although she would have been disappointed. I think she'll continue to lead in the impressive way she has for the Waratahs all season and the Wallaroos in the past. So look, I think uh, the people that are in the know probably have good decisions, but that'd be my guess as to why they've done it. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, Simon, any thoughts on that before we move on? I've got to honestly say, like, there is a lot of rugby to consume and I do try and catch the Wallaroo <laughs> games whenever they're on, but I'm not around it as much yeah. as I should be. Um, you know, whenever there's the double headers that we've had at Optus uh, over over here in the West, I've always made sure, sure I come down early enough to uh, to watch the Wallaroos play, but I'm not around it enough to actually have much of an opinion. So yeah, sure. Just sure. going to echo what Ando says. Yeah, and Ando, reading the article where it was named, it was they did speak about the fact that they're going into um, this these two tests particularly, and then. They've got the Pacific Four competition later in the year and then the Rugby World Cup. Not a lot of prep time for that. Haven't played in two years. And so looking for a captain that can really bind the team together and show with the experience and on the field and off the field that they can really bring this team together as quickly and cohesively as possible. So I think that you might have hit that nail on the head. So well done there. We'll dive into some results. (laughs) So this afternoon, Japan played the Fijiana women's team in Japan. Uh, sorry, no, in Fiji, sorry. No, 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 it was at um, Bond University on the Gold Coast, mate. Uh, that game, are you sure? I don't. Yes, that... 100%. Yep, I'm literally reading it right now. I thought it was played in Suva, but I could The Rooster be... Chicken Fijianas 15 went down in the, at the Bond University over in Australia. Oh, interesting, okay. Sorry, I read something <laughs> from Simon Rao Louis this week saying that he, he was there supporting the Fijiana team and they were playing. Anyway, all good. Anyway. Um, Ando's ahead of this more so than I am. Maybe he should be running this section. But uh, they did, Fijiana Indrua or the Fijiana women's team did go down to Japan 28-14. So that is a bit of an upset, I think, for considering that this Fijiana team was heavily comprised of the Fijiana Indrua team that had just taken out Super W. So uh, good result for Japan. Probably a bit of a shock to a lot of people who didn't Mm. get to catch the game, but a good result. Uh, any thoughts around this one? Did anyone get a chance to see any of the highlights? No, I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, but from reading the match reports and stuff after the game, it looks like the Japanese were able to play what what teams typically will try and do against Fiji's and um, look to their set piece and play a really structured style of game. It's what the Waratahs women tried to do against Fijian and Drua in the final and came pretty close. And it looks like Japan were just able to execute quite well in this particular regard. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up um, this coming week. Yeah, so moving forward to the Wallaroos games, the Wallaroos women's team do play this Friday afternoon, 5 p.m. at Suncorp Stadium. Uh, they are playing the Fiji women's team. And then uh, four days later on Tuesday at Bonn University, also kickoff time, 5 p.m., they do play the Japanese women's team as well. So that'll be some really interesting games to see how the squads come together, how they've had the short time. I think they only came together on Friday last week. So they've not got a whole lot of prep going into this uh, this series and then later Rugby World Cup later in the year. Really interesting to see how they go against both of these teams. 
Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I really want to emphasize with the, with the platform that we do have is if you live in um, Brisbane or the Gold Coast or the surrounds, please do your best to get to these games. I know that the five o'clock kickoff time might be a little bit difficult for some people with work or young families, but uh, take, take the kids along, get down and support the women because they deserve it. And the greater support that we can provide with bums on seats and eyeballs on screens means the greater opportunity there is for funding for them down track. So um, get out to the games. I would be going if I wasn't based in Sydney. Um, so get along, make sure you cheer them loudly and can't wait to see the Wallaroos get up on Friday and Tuesday. Yeah, and Is Suncorp you... anything of a, uh, a fortress for the Wallaroos? Is there anything along that side? or I don't think they generally play there <clears throat> um, just because of the kind of um, lack of support that they've had from like a... Um, audience point of view they don't get the biggest crowds so it's pretty exciting to see them play there this week i mean i don't know i can't recall any of their previous matches from suncorp hmm. yeah I'm, 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 i the last test that the wallaroos did play was in 2019 against japan they played a three test series against the japanese women's team uh the final game was played at north sydney oval the second game from memory was played at Newcastle, and I don't know where that first one was played. So they were all New South Wales-based uh, games. So I don't think the the Wallaroos have played a lot of Test rugby at Suncorp. So a bit of a novelty there. So definitely, if you are in Queensland, get out and support the women. If you are in New South Wales, Queensland, well, we said Queensland, go to the game. But if you're not in, <laughs> in Brisbane or the Gold Coast and can't get there, these games are also streamed on Stan Sports. So do tune in and watch the girls and give them your support as well. Uh, let's move across now into some other news and some other exciting things that have been happening in Sydney Clubland. Uh, in the Shoot Shield, we've had some interesting and some pretty upsetting results in a lot of ways uh, over the last two weeks. So the Parramatta Two Blues, or the Western Sydney Two Blues as they're now known, have had two massive victories in the last two weeks. Last week, they downed Gordon, the uh, current holders of the Shoot Shield, and this week they beat Sydney Uni 27 to 19 at Sydney Uni. Now this this is a feat that hasn't been done in 8 9 10 however many years. Fantastic to see the development of this uh Western Sydney Two Blue side. Uh they're getting some really good momentum going into this season and they they are starting to be the one of the informed teams which is great. So they are only unfortunately sitting third uh, last on the table, but these two wins over the last two days, uh, last two weeks, are really starting to shift the momentum and push them up the table. So it'll be interesting to see how they go in the next few weeks. And have you had a chance to catch any of this or any thoughts around the Sydney? No, Cup mate, scene? it's on. It's on my to watch. Um, I want to go back and watch this, um, particularly the two boys match. I've just watched like six games of rugby over the weekend, so I didn't have time. Um, so early this week, I'm going to try and go back and at least get the mini of it on stand. Um, but no, I'm just very excited to see it may, I'm not expecting this to be like a complete reversal of the order of the hierarchy in shoot shield, but it's just great to see the two boys after a um, pretty challenging 12 to 18 months in terms of their potential removal from the competition. Um, be getting these types of results two on a trot against Gordon and Sydney uni is just incredible. So all power to them. Keep it going. And uh, for more reports, the Waratahs recruit, uh, Thuna has been playing really well at fullback and on the wing for Western Sydney, two blues as well. So that's a really yeah, promising sign uh, that he's getting some game time and making that transition into the 15-man code. 
Great news. Great news. All right, mate. Why don't we jump into the Super Rugby Pacific results? It was an incredible weekend of rugby for Australian teams. If you were based on the southeast coast of the Australian continent. So I'm sorry to the Force fans. I'm sorry to the Reds fans. But, oh, God, it was good to get up over the Crusaders. But we'll get there in good time. So the first match was the Reds versus the Chiefs at Suncorp, 7.45 on Friday night. And look, this was another another occasion where we really hoped that the Reds were going to turn things around after their really disappointing giving up of a 17-0 lead last week. And in this game, they looked the goods for large parts of it. Um, Simon, what went wrong for the Reds? Well, I mean, you can't really ask for a closer game. Um, it all came down to just one conversion uh, in the end that was missed by the Reds. So, you know, they didn't have their regular regular kicker there. So, um, I don't know. I don't know how the Reds are going along this season. There's, there's obviously the narrative that, you know, without their 10 and 15, which are pivotal positions of missing Pattaya and James O'Connor, that, you know, you can make up excuses for there. But at the end of the day, injuries are going to happen. You've just got to expect that uh, you're going to have to show up on the day and play. Mm, that's a really good point. And, I mean, look, this was Lachlan Hudson's second game in a row at 10. How did you think he performed, Mitch? Yeah, uh, he's he's not had a lot of Super Rugby experience prior to this. He's had a bit of game time other than the last two weeks when he's played nearly 80 minutes at, num- at number 10 for Queensland. He's had little bits of minutes scattered across the last two seasons for Queensland in various positions around the back line. So I think from a development point of view, you've got to actually admire the performance that he's putting in. He doesn't look out of out of place uh, playing number 10 for the Queensland Reds. He isn't distributing the ball as well, particularly to the outside backs and unleashing them as well that James O'Connor can do and we have seen do mm. so far this season. But again, I think that just comes down to the fact that he hasn't played a lot of uh, time with the players around him and at this level. He's still such a young guy too. I think he's only 20 or 21. So he's got a massive, massive room for potential uh, and to grow there. It's just, it's becoming that narrative for Queensland at the moment that their key positions across the 15 are getting injured and the replacements are going to have to come in and uh, match up against the Kiwi sides, which is where they're starting to struggle. It also comes into the picture, the fact that... um. And I don't know how controversial this is, but I don't think Hunter Paisami is in his particularly best form at the moment. Um, not having James O'Connor inside him for the last two matches seems to have had a bit of an effect. His passing and distribution game hasn't been as strong as it was kind of at the end of last season, earlier this season. His kicking game in general hasn't been as on point. And Jock Campbell has really suffered from the move of Jordan Pattaya into 15. Um, he's had to spend a bit of time out on a wing. He's, because of the injury to Geordie, been back in at 15 for the last couple of matches. But he just hasn't been anywhere near as good as we know he can be. And so it's pretty tough for um, poor old Crichton when the players outside of him aren't in peak form as well. So as much as we can justifiably laud the efforts of players like Fraser McWright, who's just going from strength to strength. I think that as much as there are some really good players throughout this Reds outfit, they're just not in the right form 
at this point in time when they're coming up against some pretty challenging Chiefs opponents. Um, Simon, am I being a bit too harsh here considering the Reds only lost by two points? Look, I think the end of the day, you've got to expect that injuries are going to happen. And have we seen Thorne have any rotation at the 10 jersey all season when he's been playing opposition, which he knows are going to be weaker? You know, when he's come up against, I mean, I even say it myself, the Force or, or the Rebels, where they, you know, they're gimme matches and they're expecting to win. Last season, they had the issue of, you know, putting everything into um, Super AU before we had the Trans-Tasman. And then mm. this year, you know, the, the whole narrative was we're building towards the Trans-Tasman, we're building towards the Trans-Tasman. Well, last year, the main issue was we had a whole bunch of injuries with the Reds and then they, you know, put everything on that. So you'd expect that he would have given some time to some other tens along the season. So, I mean, at the same time, they made their bed and they've got to sleep in it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, one of the, looking at the match itself, it seemed that, the first half plan to just not play with the ball in the first half meant that the Reds were kicking away so much possession that the first half stats within a match are just absolutely crazy. They had 36% possession and 27% territory in the entirety of the first half. So they just kicked the ball away so much that it gave the Chiefs so much time and opportunity to be attacking that um, I just wonder if they had maybe chanced their arm a little bit more and backed their um, strike players in the backs. Maybe they would have set themselves up for a few more attacking opportunities. But at the same time, I've just spoken about maybe some of the lack of form of those players. So maybe the um, tactical decisions made sense. Uh, One of the things that the I think is starting to happen with the, the Reds backline in particular, with the absent, absence of James O'Connor, it's forcing the players outside him to take on some of the responsibilities that they weren't normally doing. So Tate McDermott mm -hmm. is taking on a lot of the kicking responsibilities. Um, yep. we, we know that as a number nine, he is responsible for the box kicks, uh, the box kicks and the clearances in the 22. Uh, but I think Lawson Crichton's not quite at that level yet to take on the tactical kicking game that James O'Connor was able to employ for the Reds earlier in the season. Uh, even outside him with... Uh, Hamish Stewart and Hunter Paisami, James O'Connor was really key in taking the ball to the line, getting through the initial contact and then linking up with those outside players who were hitting the ball at pace and at speed, were able to make more meters in the contact. Lawson Crichton isn't as confident in doing that at the moment. So I think yep. a lot of that responsibility is now shifting to Hunter Paisami which is why we're seeing he is trying so hard to be that big abrasive ball runner, similar to sort of Asamu Karevi, uh, which is probably why we're not seeing as much distribution out to the, the outside backs, the wingers and the fullback. Um, and it's the, the loss of James O'Connor isn't just pivotal in the fact that they've lost their captain and their playmaker, but that his responsibility and the game plan that they want to play is being shifted onto other players who already have a set role in the in the plan, the game plan, now taking on the responsibility when James O'Connor's not there. Tate McDermott said last week in the press conference that what they were doing against the Hurricanes was trying to kick shorter to bring Geordie Barrett into the game a lot more, but they just weren't kicking effectively. And yeah, they yeah. It, it was just, it, they were nullified kicks. He wasn't being pressured into contact. So that was one area that we were hoping to see some improvement this week. And he, he took responsibility for that last week and said he needed to be better in that regard. And 
I don't know if we did see a massive improvement in that. In no, that area I don't this think week. so. I think um, what what Wilson Crichton did quite well was he had some he had some pretty fantastic runs. Got to give him credit. He had a couple of broken field opportunities. He did quite well in. I mean, he made eleven runs for ninety one meters with a couple of offloads and a defender beaten. So like, that that's good or a clean break. Sorry. Mm. Um, so th- those are good stats. But when you actually look at a large number of the kicks that he made. He very rarely found grass and they were quite often um, directly down the throat of a player who was either able to set himself up really well for a return kick or make a lot of ground on the return. Like Chase Tiertier's stats, he made 104 metres, Quinty Pyre, 112. Um, it just shows that the Chiefs back three had a lot of opportunity to be running the ball back. And I think a part of that came from the inaccuracy of the Reds kicking game. Um, but in a way, I'm actually quite happy that they're trying to play that more tactically astute game they just got to get better at executing it because tate's not a renowned kicker um he will get better but he's he's still not there yet well i've just brought up some stats on my phone just to have a little look and i'm seeing that uh Crichton only made 11 passes in that game whereas tate mcdermott made 60 passes and mm. i just looked a few weeks back uh when they had o'connor and tate was only making 34 passes whereas o'connor was making 20 passes so it seems like you know tate is having to do double the responsibility yep um yeah and that's an interesting one because i've you, you look at the, you watch tate and nick white play um and they are both really really good players and they bring different things into that number nine position. i mean they know jake gordon but no, no i gotta jake say gordon. gordon has been um, tremendous when he's back so far especially because he's in your fantasy no you've got finlay chris yeah, yeah he's, um, no, he's in my fantasy oh good okay um but no genuinely with what i was saying about tate and nick um nick white's passing is the best in Australian rugby yeah. without a shadow of a doubt from the number nines. And so if they're going to be getting Tate to play um, at this distribution game, which I mean, I don't mind that they're getting him to do that, to take the pressure off Lawson Crichton. It makes sense. Um, I just, I'm not sure whether he has the width on his passing to be able to open the game up a little bit more rather than um, just passing it to kind of the forward pod and then having them just truck it up. I think that, he is still developing in some of the skills that he needs to have to be able to play that supporting role. Like we saw when Reese Hodge went to 10 for the Wallabies, but Nick White basically played the um, playmaker role. Yeah, yeah, the distributor role. So look, I think there's a lot to be said here, but um, I know that I've been a little bit critical of the Reds within this commentary here, but that actually comes from me really rating them and wanting them as realistically now the second best Australian team um, to be stepping up and getting wins over the Kiwis and showing them what we're capable of as a broader kind of nation of, of our super rugby teams. Um, and the Reds just aren't quite there yet where I would hope that they are. Um, is, is that a fair enough expectation or am I being a little bit harsh here boys? I'm surprised you didn't say they were the third best team after the Waratahs result on the weekend. Unfortunately, they are still one win above us. But that says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, The narrative around the Reds and how they're meant to be like the up there with the Brumbies is the best team in Australian rugby for 2022. And and the Waratahs are literally one week behind, one win behind them. Exactly. And leading into the Trans-Tasman crossover period, they were one loss. They'd only lost to the Brumbies. They they were coming in red-hot favourites and they've not, really uh they've not won a game yet against the kiwi opposition yeah yeah so all right let's keep on moving on um but hopefully the reds will be able to turn it around next week i'll certainly be cheering them on and we're going to move to the western force going down 18 to 22 
against the Auckland Blues over at HBF Park on Friday night. Now, this was an incredible match. Going into it, the expectation was that the Blues were going to wipe the floor with the Western Force. Um, Blues were top of the table, hadn't lost a match. No, had, had they lost a match? No. They lost they, once. They lost yeah. once. Their yeah, first yeah, yeah. game of the season. Yep. So they lost one game and they were just absolutely on fire over the previous few weeks. And the Force admittedly have been playing really poorly over the last few weeks. And so then they came out and played the house down and pushed it right down to the wire. Uh, Simon, as a Force fan yourself, are you frustrated at the fact that you nearly came away with the win? Are you proud of the performance of the team? Is it a bit of both? Um, I'm, I'm obviously very proud of that effort. Um, it felt like a fever dream. They just had absolutely no right to be in that game for as long as they did. Um, and, you know, it, it was a bit more reminiscent of the force at the start of the season of just, you know, being really tenacious. But you saw in the middle of the season just a period where they were just letting easy tries through and they looked like they'd lost their rhythm. Um, but, you know, it was a bit more of what we expect from the Western Force in terms of just really gritty and and um, not letting, you know, Kiwis out of the game. I mean, if you think of last year with the Trans-Tasman, this is what we saw a lot of their results were these kind of games. Um, mm. So, mm. you know, it seems like it's a lot closer to what we expected from them this season based on last year. Um, but we just didn't see it against the Aussie teams towards the second half of the AU comp. Mitch, looking for some of the positives, uh, the the force had been very poor in previous weeks in the first 20 minutes of the game. Yet in this match, come the 20th minute, it's um, 8-10 to the Blues. So it had been quite close. I mean, a couple of minutes later, Akira Iwani gets a try as well. But they actually started and got 8-0 up ahead the force. Um, do you think that they'll be able to take some confidence that they were at least able to address that issue of the early conceding? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think one area that the Western Force needs to be most proud of is that they were in this game right up until the final play. What final whistle, they had a shot at goal. Um, If they could get a penalty, they take a shot at goal and they win this game. So they created a way to get back into the game. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the halftime score was 22 to to 8, was it? Yeah, okay. So... They first of all they kept the Blues scoreless in the second half, which is a massive, massive task in of itself. But they were able to then claw their way back into the game, get a late try. Had they kicked that conversion, who knows what would have happened? Um, that's a massive, massive momentum shift in their favor. That's something that these players can really cling to in the next few weeks and go, no, we actually we we deserve to be in this competition. We can match it with the best. The Blues are coming first in the competition, and we showed that we came within inches of winning the game against them. So you'd, you'd hope that's what happens, but you know they it was three conversions they missed. Like they yep. didn't they didn't convert a single try. Um, and I mean you'd hope that as the season moves on that they can you know have a look at this. But I don't know as a Western Force fan this season, it's not looking hopeful. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you, because coming into this season, there, there was a lot of hope around the Western Force and, and a fair bit of expectation because they'd had some good games last year. Um, they'd shown a lot of promise against the Kiwi teams. They'd had some decent player attention and a little bit of um, excitement about the Brumbies young trio coming across. So with this point in time, they're currently sitting ninth on the ladder with only two wins from two wins and seven losses. Um, that's not by any stretch of the imagination a good result. How is it as a Force fan reflecting back on the whole season? 
Uh, I mean, you know, I came into the season excited because it seemed like, you know, last last season we were kind of thrown together and and trying to, you know, make due on on very little preparation. Um, and, you know, we had a few people who left at the end of last season um, and we were looking at, a, it's, it, for me, it felt like a rebuild. You know, we had a young 10 coming in, we had a young 12 coming in, we had a young nine, well, not too young, but inexperienced nine coming in. And it looked like, okay, you know, maybe we'd look at the season as a write-off. Last season, we relied on journeymen and this season, let's just put the time and the effort into these people and re, and build these combinations. But then, you know, we saw him lose, we saw the coach lose faith in Pasatoa for, you know, a few games and putting McIntyre in, which then it seemed a lot like what what we've seen with the Rebels, you know, we've seen yep. Carter Gordon get benched for, for Tamua when, you know, Tamua is not the future. It's Carter Gordon's got to be who they're investing time in and they're not going to win this season. That's how I felt as a Western Force fan. We're not going to win this season. But, you know, if we put the time into these young, young players and playmakers, we can see some combinations build. And it just seems like it's been a, a season they've thrown away for trying to please the fans by putting in some more experienced people, but then also not investing in the future. So it's it's been frustrating, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point because um, when you look at it, a, a bunch of the players that you would expect to be um, maybe continuing their form from last year, like Jeremy Thrush and Richard Kahui, either haven't got the game time or haven't been particularly impressive when they have got their opportunities. But conversely, someone who um, for many on the East Coast would have thought he could have improved, someone like Ryan McCauley, I would have thought he'd be getting far more game time because he's a quality player who is quite young and has an opportunity for development. And yet Jeremy Thrush has started the last few matches apart from this match on the weekend. Um, and we haven't seen much of Ryan Cawley until the last few games. So it looks like there's been some very interesting selection choices that I'd love to um, be be chatting through with Mr. Sampson and finding out what's going on there. Uh, so if you do get any kind of whispers and contacts on the inside side, let us know, mate. We'd love to hear the goss. Yeah, I mean, honestly, with McCauley, I kind of forgot he was even on the roster for half the season because you just didn't hear about him or see anything to do with him. Yep, yep. Yeah, he's a quality player and was taken over to Exeter in the offseason and played a few of their European Championship matches. Um, so, like, he is a good player, very obviously, to go over to one of the better English Premiership teams and get game time immediately for them after joining the club. Mm. Like, I, it, it's an interesting one. There must be some yeah. strong opinions or something going on there. Well, I, the I frustrating thing leading into next season is is it's going to be another rebuild. You know, we're going to be yeah. losing Fergus Lee Warner, who's been, you know, the absolute hero of the Western Force over here. He's been putting in season after season of amazing work and he's been overlooked for the gold and, and he's looking abroad, which you can't blame him for. He's getting into no. his older years. Yeah. But, you know, we're also losing Medrano and, you know, McIntyre as well. Yeah, Godwin. Yeah, but you're so signing like Tupo, so you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Tupo can play five. Um, and then right. Ralston as well. Um, yeah, don't ask Tim we're, we're losing a lot of people. Um, yeah, don't ask Tim Horan, yeah. But, I mean, if, if the rumors are true and we get Tupo and Karevi, apparently, and we get some of that Twiggy money coming through, I mean, you know, the sky's the limit. We want to be the best club in the world, apparently. So, <laughs> but, you know, hopefully that, that comes to fruition. Scott Robinson will take over right? his coach. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and supposedly um, 
supposedly Fergus Lee Warner is twice the player that Nick Frost will ever be as well. So that that's an interesting point too to just throw. Whoa, out there. Who's been throwing that one out there? That your me, CEO. Your oh. CEO. <laughs> yeah, literally. You know, in the media, I think Fergus Lee Warner. I mean, I've been I've been waiting to get on this pod to be able to talk about him. <laughs> no, I, I think he's you know he's been a terrific player for the Western Force, and yes, and I think yeah, he definitely. I think he has deserved to look in at the gold. And I'm I'm disappointed to see that he never got a chance there because I really think that six jersey could have, you know, looked at something for him. You know, he, he could jump in a line out. He's a big body. He's got a high work rate. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's one of those, you know, what could have been situations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, why don't we just make a couple of final comments? Because, look, I think we all expected more from the Blues. Um, a lot of credit has to come into the Western Force for uh, the improvement within their game and the the what's the right words here the belief the that they had in themselves and the fight that they were able to bring into this match to run the table topping blues right up to the last minutes mm. um so a huge credit to the force but what does this say about the blues is it just an off night and they'll kind of get back into the sheds have a look at things and come back stronger next week um or is it maybe just maybe that the Aussie teams aren't as bad as everybody was making out to be? There's been a bit of a narrative forming over this weekend coming through the media and coming through some of the post-match interviews with some of the New Zealand players that it almost feels like they were expecting Australia to be at the level we were at last year in Trans-Tasman where the Kiwi teams were getting clearly on top of us and getting easy wins and that they sort of get to the 60-minute mark and some of the players seem to be clocking off a little bit. It almost felt in this game, like in that 55, 60 minute mark, the Blues kind of went on autopilot and thought they had that game won. And the Western Force got back into it and, and had to fought, fight for it late. And the Blues, it, it really woke them up and they realized that they had a game on their hands and they had to get back yeah. into it and get back on, um, get back onto their tasks. It, it, it's not just this narrative either. It's not just this Blues game, sorry, that is part of this narrative. The Queensland Reds pushed the Chiefs all the way through. The Waratahs took it to the the Crusaders all the way to the final whistle. We were lucky enough to get over on top and win that game. Um, the Brumbies this afternoon put in a massive performance against the Hurricanes, and and they were on the back foot for a lot of that game. So it it felt like it feels like there is a bit of a shift at the moment, and the Australian teams are a lot more competitive than we've seen them in the last few years. But maybe the New Zealand teams are just not prepared mentally for that shift in momentum, for that change in Australian um, intensity and uh, fight in games that they are just expecting it to be a little bit of an easier win than what is currently mm. being presented to them. Mm. Look, I think there's more we can dive into with that as we keep tracking through the results from the weekend. So why don't we I, move? I do want to say very quickly with the Western <clears throat> yep. Force, it will be interesting to see how they go moving forward because last season we did see... You know, they didn't do that great against the AU teams. And then we saw against every New Zealand side, they stayed in the um, in the matches. So it might be a matter of that's the case here. I mean, this is the first game we've seen because obviously last week they weren't up against the Pacifica because of COVID issues. So, you know, we don't know how the, the force are going to track this season against the Kiwi opposition. And it might be the same thing as last year. You know, they might just be that they lift for the games and they grind it through. Yeah, and I think and last week's uh, lack of game probably was to show for the early... Um, points that the best, the Blues were able to put on the Western Force this week. They woke up in that second half and really came home strong. Uh, who knows mm. what would have happened had they been able to play last week and really gone into this Blues game with momentum. 
Well, why don't we talk about a team that had absolutely no momentum going into their match, and that was the Highlanders, who were playing away in Suva against the Fijian, Fijian and Drua, and this was an absolutely incredible match. Um, it was played out at ANZ National Stadium, an afternoon match, sold out, I think, What's, what was the figure? 15,000, 16,000 people within the stadium. Um, and from the footage that we could see, it was an absolute party atmosphere. The level of support that the Indrua had was next level. So absolutely well done to all the Fijian fans getting out there to support their team. And the good news was that it was also televised on free-to-air TV, I believe. Um, that news came through right before kickoff because of some of the outcry about the cost of tickets and the inability of some of their supporters to be able to afford to go to or to pay for the subscription services to watch the game. But watching this game, my takeaway was that um, the win to, by the Highlanders came down to a combination of factors. One, it came down to the Ndrua at a couple of points getting overexcited and making um, kind of what we would see as the expressive Fijian style of trying to run it out from all quarters uh, and then having some turnovers and then the ball not going their own way. Uh, but then secondly, the Highlanders also being able to weather the storm and play a little bit more of a structured approach and basically just do the simple things right more than they have previously. And they were able to just grind out a win against some absolutely incredible tries that the Andrew uh, scored. Mitch, um, I, we were at the pub together prior to the Waratahs match. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from this game, which was such a close loss uh, by the Drua? Yeah, so first of all, I think it was just fantastic to see the Andrew be able to get a home game. And not only that they sold the stadium out, which was fan awesome, absolutely awesome to see, but every time the camera panned to the crowd, 85% of the people in the crowd were wearing some form of Fijian Indrua kit. Like whether it was a jersey, a warm-up top, a cap, like the the Fiji nation has got so quickly behind this team, it just goes to show how much Super Rugby needed this this. Uh, Pacific Island presence has been so called for for the last few years. It's just fantastic to see uh, them included and this great performance put out by their team. So they came out of the blocks absolutely firing. The first few tries that they scored were just Fiji rugby to the core. Uh, passes, uh, running the ball from turnovers in your own 22, not kicking it out for the touch, actually just putting it through the hands and, and finding space on the wing to score. Um Getting, to, getting just offload after offload, finding space, keeping the ball alive, just things that Fiji rugby is at its core. Fantastic to see. Uh, I was really hoping that the Indrua were going to be able to hold on and get the victory against the Highlanders in this game, uh, but unfortunately they weren't able to do Would that. Would be riots in the streets. Oh, how good with it. Celebratory riots, you know, like where you're. No, I'm in a New Zealand. I'm in oh, a New Zealand. Right. If the Highlanders had lost a game, another one, it would have gone uh, crazy. 
Well, one of the one of the fascinating things that I think the Druidists need to be working on is a set piece, because and the reason why I say it's fascinating is because it's been a story of the whole season um, that their set piece has been a particular weakness for them. And you look at the lineout percentage; they only won five of their eleven lineouts, forty five percent rating. Um, so that just in and of themselves meant that they're just lacking the capacity to be able to secure their own ball um, and to even oppose and put pressure an opposition line out and the territory stats for the game the possession was even 49 to 51 but the territory was 37 to 63 from the Fijia to the Highlanders so that just basically meant that the Fijians were just playing in their half for a significant portion of the game and apart from breakout tries weren't able to put field position um, pressure on the Highlanders so look I think that for a team that's in their first season, this is a fantastic performance. It would have been incredible to see them get this win. But unfortunately, it wasn't to be for this round. But I can't wait for them to be able to play more matches there next season. And oh, the scenes when they get their first win are just going to be absolutely wondrous to see. I've heard some rumours um, that they're, they're in talks to play the Chiefs in back in um, in Fiji later this year. Oh, really? Yeah. So for one of their last games? Yep. That's the that'll rumor. be incredible. That'll be incredible. It's just it's just so good to see, you know, like they've they've deserved a team for so long. And yep. and just thinking forward, like I mean, we've got them in our pool in Australia. Like it's kind of worrying because <laughs> the narrative with Fiji and rugby has always been, you know, the fitness dies out in the last bit and it's the it's the set pieces and they're a team thrown together. I'll be interested to see like with the Fijian national side, how much of these players we see, you know, come through and, and the magical word of cohesion actually mm. occurs once again, because, you know, they're, they're an amazing side to watch. And I think everyone loves watching Fijian rugby. And I think every national team has benefited from Fijian rugby. So it's, it's really good to see. And when was the last time we saw a crowd this big for super rugby, you know? Yep. Yep, exactly. And a crowd that loud and passionate too. Mm. Um, like Leichhardt was good. It was a great crowd experience, but it, it had nothing compared on that didn't draw a match um, for the previous one. But why don't we move to the, what is genuinely the match of the weekend? I'm not even saying that because I am a died in a World Waratahs fan. Um, but when you think about it, the Brumbies getting up 42-25 is, is a wonderful result but very few people expected the Waratahs to actually win and to uh, win against the Crusaders. Yeah, no, you tipped <laughs> them because you needed the result for the tipping competition. Thank you. Um, but, but, mate, we are there. We're at, we're at Leichhardt. Um, we're, we're standing on the hill. On the hill. Me, you, in your the brother. Sun. In the sun. It was glorious. We've got Nelson and Kagi from Draft Rugby. Um, who else did we see? Jack O'Rourke, Nick Wasiliev from Gaga. We yep. had... Um, Krishan as well, one of our bye. fans, come say good day. Yeah. It was it was great to see a bunch of people there. It gets to 14 nil. We're up 14 nil. And we I, I remember this moment quite clearly. I kind of looked around to like to the guys in the group and I'm like, I just didn't want to say anything. I didn't I didn't want to jinx it. To yeah. be like, is is this is this really happening? Like, could could we actually be winning this game? Um, Mitch, did you have a similar kind of trepidation about what was happening? Yeah, we have a family WhatsApp group and, and there was a few messages going on there saying how great the, the team were going and what a great start it was. And I was very similar to you and it was, was intentionally being quiet because so many times in the past I've said, oh, Waratahs are on fire. They're, they're really, you know, showing good fight here. 
and seconds after sending that message, intercept, someone scores a try and, and we're back under the posts. Uh, so uh, very similar, didn't want to burst the bubble, was being very optimistic around the result and trying not to uh, say anything that was going to sort of jinx it the wrong way, but far out. What a performance by this team. Real hard to hang in there, uh, particularly in that last 20 minutes when the Crusaders were coming home so strong, to be able to get the momentum back in their favor. Charlie Gamble getting that turnover on full time, just uh, it's up there with that Michael Foley, uh, Bernard Foley, sorry, kick uh, in 2014 as one of the best plays uh, in on a rugby field in New South Wales. Well, especially the narrative that had come out just before of, of, you know, that he had been someone who was looking to be a crusader and he felt snubbed by the whole, I mean, the, who, who knows how much of that is the journalism spin, but I know, you know, just against the team that he expected to be playing for, it was it was great to see. Absolutely. And for Tane Edmund to have such a starring role within a match at the ground that his father was such a key player of uh, Balmain Tigers was just incredible too oh and his interview at the end oh oh, oh tugging at the heart yeah ninjas cutting onions yeah mitch and i um <laughs> were fortunate enough to be in the media room after the match and um he he was he came and did like a special interview with some of the print journals that were there and mitch and i just got to listen in and watch and the passion that you could see within him and how much this meant even this is about an hour after the game is finished and he still was kind of he was emotional not fighting he, he was he emotional mm. it was so significant to him even an hour later um that it was such a wonderful thing to see but i'm um, diving into the match itself there was some it was really interesting because the Waratahs got off to an absolutely incredible start with um, a try in the first couple of minutes of the game. Um, you have Tane Edmed that just does a brilliant um, hit up off the back of a scrum, followed up by Dylan Pease just bursting through the line for a try in the second minute. Uh, then a few minutes later, Izzy Parisi um, beats a couple of men on the outside, gets an awesome offload out of the back of the hand in the tackle to Mark Nowing and Nitawase. Edmed again converts, gets a penalty, and then it's 17 nil at half time and the crusaders really did not look like their normal selves um what do you think was off or what do you think might have been going on simon um with the crusaders particularly in that first half i don't know but i mean uh, the thing is but at that, at that point it was 17 nil and haven't we seen a aussie team up 17 nil before <laughs> and uh you know i was just sitting there like oh i mean it, it's it's great while it lasted um i mean yeah, that's, you know, and the, that's the, what we at the game. That we're standing there on the hill, just waiting for it, waiting for that breakthrough try, waiting yeah, for that intercept, yeah. waiting like this is too good to be true. It's gonna turn any second. Yeah. Now. Well, I mean, you know, there was obviously you can say you know Richie Moanga wasn't there. Um, you can say that there was the change in the center combo with Havili at twelve and Goodhue at thirteen, um, replacing Enor and, and Havili's combination, and there was all these other things. But at the end of the day, like we all know that Crusaders can just find some random farm boy and bring him in, and he's a new star player for the so, All Blacks. And yeah, scores, exactly, like, exactly. Like, where, tries. where did you find this guy? Like. So I don't know. I don't know what's really going on, but there's been a narrative going on as well with uh, Razor Robinson. You know, he had his uh, 
his guaranteed you know future as an All Blacks uh, coach. And a lot of people are starting to say, you know, look at the Blues lately and look at look at the Crusaders' results. I mean, when was the last time yep. we saw them drop this many games in a season? Yeah, um, they've dropped the, three yeah, this already. Is their third loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have one to the Chiefs, one to the Blues, and now to the Waratahs. Which that's the, like you can understand a loss to the Blues, and again you can understand a loss to the Chiefs. Chiefs have been yeah. a good team over the last. They, they lost to the Chiefs last year, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so when you combine all that together, like there's something that just isn't a hundred percent right. And uh, with the Crusaders, now that is not to say they're not a quality team. Of course, they are still up there as the benchmark of Super Rugby Pacific without a shadow of a doubt. Them and the Blues are the top two teams and the Brumbies are um, pretty closely behind as a third, although there's still a bit of a distance between between the two. Um, but within, within all of that, Nelson Dale from Draft Rugby has a bit of a theory going on that there's something wrong with the Crusaders in terms of the team approach that they're having. They've got so many brilliant individuals that are mm. still able to pull off these awesome moments that can win them games. And they're just such incredible athletes individually that they are um, still performing at a really high standard, but it's definitely not the same standard as last year or the year before. Something has shifted. And even when that question was asked of Razor Robinson in the post-match interview, he very, um, very politely but bluntly said um well if you know what we can do to tighten things up let us know uh that's that's what we're trying to figure out and what we're trying to do get rid of those little errors um and make sure we're executing as well as we should be uh, so it's fascinating to see the crusaders of all teams making those basic mistakes when nobody would really be expecting that my hot take for this week on the crusaders is their discipline is starting to come back to to hurt them. So if we look at the result this week, we we got a red card to uh, what was his name? Uh, Dalzel Dave, Hamish Dalzel. Yeah, Hamish Hamish Dalzel potentially should have got two. Oh, red cards and what and, about that? You know, <laughs> two red cards, mate. First, two, oh, first one was at least a bloody penalty. The fact that yeah, I know. Was With the referee, you have to say like he caused Hooper to get damaged. You know? Exactly. Like, so our, we've our, got our we, golden child. Yep. It was, yeah, it's just to cut in, Mitch, and we'll let you get back to your point in a sec. Let's just quickly touch on those, um, those that incident. So the first one um, happens against Tane Edmed. He's, he's been tackled and Dalzil comes in and collects him with shoulder directly to neck slash head. Now, um, Edmed has been tackled. His body is slightly falling. Dalzil has slightly bent at the hips, um, but it is still a shoulder and, to the neck slash head. And Edmed has spun as well. That was yeah, another correct. contributing factor correct. in the decision. But so in my mind, I don't see how that isn't at the very least a penalty. Yep. I, mm. I completely understand with it not being a red card, have no issue with that. I even understand it not being a yellow card because of multiple mitigating circumstances. Mm. But the fact that it's not even a penalty when there is direct contact with force to the head astounded me. And then only minutes later, he does it again. He does it again and collects Mick Hooper and Hooper looked bad after that hit he was staggering and falling over afterwards i very much doubt he'll be in the team next week well i hope not he's in my fantasy side and i've been waiting all season for him to come in 
Um, but yeah, it's it's the, it's the continuity of of these um, decisions. Like we just want to have know what the standard is and stick to it. And if you look at the framework, isn't it? If it's a head tackle and it's contact to the head, which you know there was, then you mitigate it down. You can only mitigate it down one level. So you know the fact that it wasn't a yellow. Okay, you know that's what us rugby fans have been screaming for is you know to let the game play a little bit more. That's fair enough. But a penalty at the least is what we were expecting. So yeah, what the so. what the process was with uh, Ben O'Keefe in this situation is he was saying in his mind that the onus actually fell on Tane Edmund. Uh, he spun into the tackle and had mitigated to a point where he was dropping into the contact. Uh, Dalzell had come in. He had bent low, hips lower, um, hip, bent at the hips, coming into contact. His, uh, ben O'Keefe's words were, has there been foul play? And he didn't think there had. So yes, he agreed that there had been head contact, accidental head contact, but he didn't deem that as foul play because he thought that the onus was on Tane Edmed falling and sp- and spinning into the contact. So that's I mean, the we reason. We talk about that all day, really. But like, when has it always been about foul play? It's always been about contact to the head. I mean, most of the time, when is it foul? Yeah, I mean yeah, that's that. Yeah. I'm just I'm giving some thought process. There no, no, I, I hear what you're saying. But it's just, but it's just it, exactly, and it comes down to where how is it, we saw it last week as well in uh, the Waratahs game specifically. Uh, Michael uh, oh, brain fart. Um, Angus Bell gets that red card for a lifting tackle. Uh, the next game, the Reds game, the same contact mm. is made against Hunter Paisami, and Angus Gardner does gives it a yellow or even gives it just a penalty. Um, mitigates it right down. So two different referees with two different interpretations of a very, very similar outcome. Um, yeah. And we're getting It'll be to interesting different... to see how the judiciary reacts. You know, if they look at it and go, look, there's two what we deem reds or pen, like high tackles in a row. I wonder if they'll punish him more if he'll still get the nice three-week, two-week deal. Well, the issue, the issue will be is if the judiciary doesn't ag- or agrees with Ben O'Keefe that the first one wasn't foul play, they can't then take that into consideration in the the mm. second action. Mm. Yeah. yeah, look, so going through the head contact process, I've got it up right in front of me. So has head contact occurred? Yes. Was there any foul play? Obviously, Ben O'Keefe has said, no, there was not foul play because of all the other things we've just spoken about. Um, but when you go into the foul play definitions and it goes down to dangerous play as a subset of foul play, says players mustn't do anything that's reckless or dangerous to others including leading with the elbow or forearm. Um, so it's obviously including but not limited too. So I would argue that regardless, it was dangerous to Tane Edmed, the shoulder directly to the neck and head. Um, even if there are things that have mitigated it happening, it's still dangerous play. Mm. Now, what was the degree of danger? You could argue that it's low. It's a low degree of danger or that it's a yellow card. It's a middle degree of danger, but then mitigates down to a penalty kick. There's nothing once you decide that there was foul play that's beneath a penalty kick level. Edmund's head was a pinball pin, pin just yeah. between the two of them. It went bang, bang. And then Basically. he got kneed in the head on the floor as well. <laughs> so, look, I think we should probably move on. Yeah. Uh, it was just a con- it, it was a controversial decision, particularly in the context of the fact that Dalzell then goes and takes Roddy Hooper's head off um, a couple of minutes later. And the crowd was pretty feral when um, the second hit happened. There were some very choice words being sent out towards the refereeing team. I really hope they kind I hope they heard the intent, but not like the words themselves. And you take it because <laughs> they heart. were not kind. Yeah, they were not kind. 
Um, but just just moving forward, I think there's a couple of more points I'd like to make because I was in the I mean, middle of a point. Oh, you were sorry, <laughs> mate. We talked about this so long. I forgot about your point. Let's go back I know, to the point. I know, geez, it's like I don't even exist. Um, yep, anyway, no, carry on. Uh, my point was that this game is in my opinion, my hot take is that the ill discipline of the Crusaders team is finally coming back to bite them on the butt. So in this game, they get that red card. Delzel gets that red card in that instance. Waratahs get a penalty. They, uh, I think they take a scrum or a quick tap and it goes to a mall, uh, which then gets pulled down by Pablo Matera. Matera. Yeah. Penalty try given and a yellow card to Matera. So in a space of three, two or three minutes, they've got a red card and a yellow card. For the rest of the game, they're playing with two players down. Um, so many times in the past few years, we've seen instances like this not been given. Like the the Crusaders have not been penalized to the same degree that other teams have. I have seen referees would just continue the play with advantage to the Waratahs, but not actually award a penalty try for collapsing them all. Uh, it, it it almost seems like they're actually under a microscope at the moment, and all the little things that they're doing, the fifty fifty calls, aren't going again, uh, aren't going their way all of the time, uh, and they're not quite able to right that wrong pattern once it's happening on the field. And a team like the Waratahs this week that's on fire, that has a crazy crowd pushing them along, um, is in the fight, are able to get on top of them because they're just not able to execute at that level. Yeah, there were a couple of really good performances from players um, throughout both the teams. But one that I want to point out was the the work that Oli Jaeger was able to do on Angus Bell in the scrums. Now, we know how much of a superhuman or Mr. Incredible um, Angus Bell actually is. But the reality was that when I went back and watched the scrums again today, because I've watched this game about 12 times already, um, but going back, the early um, opportunities we got within the scrums where Ben O'Keefe was calling it in our favour, we were actually pretty lucky because Angus Bell was hinging pretty heavily under the pressure that was coming through from Jaeger. Um, and then those early scrum penalties that we um, in this kind of 20th minute onward, we had a bunch of scrums called against us and Angus Bell was just getting pretty monstered within the scrum. So order credit needs to go to uh, the front row of the Crusaders there. So they did quite well. Um, bit of a concern comes in for Harry Johnson Holmes and James Ram. James Ram, having just returned back into the team, walked off with what seemed to be an ankle injury. Harry Johnson Holmes seemed to have a pretty significant knee injury that they tried to strap up, but he couldn't continue with. We didn't bring up Tupo getting a calf injury in the break. Oh, that's well. a good point. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Real good point there. Um, but yeah, I tried to steer away from that as an excuse as to another injury why they lost the game. Yeah, oh, of course, I know. Yeah. that's just that's just the narrative around the Reds, isn't yeah. it? Um, but look, I think that there are a few really good good stories that we can kind of hone in on um, as we kind of wrap up this part of the game because we do have other matches which occurred over the weekend. Um, firstly, we've got to shout him out. Our boy, pod favourite, Ed Craig, getting a run for the final, what, uh, five, six minutes six of minutes, the game? Think, yeah. Yeah, something something like that. Uh, getting a couple of good tackles, throwing a line out in straight, doing the minimum required of him as a hooker. Oh, and I mean, bring him into the Wallabies story. now. Like, hats <laughs> off to Craig. Out. Hats off to yep. Craig. We've seen in the Reds game, the Waratahs had a penalty right on full time, attacking at the line out, and Horton just isn't able to hit the target. Ed Craig, under the exact same situation pressure, if not pressure, yeah. if not more pressurized because 
There's more people here. This is the Crusaders. And he hasn't been a part of the squad. Hasn't been a part of the squad. Doesn't know the calls. Throws a pinpoint accurate pass. Straight uh, line out throw. Straight down the middle. It was absolutely screamer. Um, and yeah, get, I think he, he creamed one or two of the All Black, uh, get All Blacks players for the Crusaders as well. So <laughs> yeah. Great debut. Look, um, great debut. So, so great debut. And, um, it's awesome to have him have that opportunity. He'd actually traveled with the team previously as a reserve hooker for some of their away games when, um, Filanu, I think had COVID. So he was, he was traveling with the squad. Then. That Reds game actually. Yeah. That Reds game yeah, in Sydney, he was, yeah. he was warm up. Yeah, so he um he's um if if people don't know who he is, he plays um hooker for Eastwood first grade or shoot shield, and he's a school teacher at Shaw. Um, so he is basically just an awesome story, and I think we should get rid of Tom Tom Horton and um, contract Ed Craig to the Waratahs straight away. Thanks. Wasn't there um, a lot of uh, of his school kids were there as well? I saw yeah, a lot of, uh, he, sort of that. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's so, a boarding teacher, so a lot of his boarding students they were there. Yeah, yeah they, they, their house. team had played, um, Shaw played St. Augustine's in a match prior to the Waratahs game at, at Leichhardt. And so maybe 100 or so students were still around um, and just going wild for him when he got onto the field and after the match oh, that's and stuff. Awesome. It, was, it was cool. Um, but a couple of other players would be great to point out. Dylan Peach had a peach of a game. Um, hey, thank you. Thank you. I just came up with that one then. He was incredible. His ability to have a couple of clean breaks, stay strong in a tackle, accelerate into space, sevens quality through and through. He hasn't always um, shone so far this season with the starts that he's had, but this was by far his best game for the Waratahs. He was incredible. He was quite I'm pretty salty. In the, like, I was yeah, going to say, yeah. so I'm pretty salty because I've had him in my fantasy team for weeks <laughs> and weeks and weeks yeah. and he did nothing. And then I finally drop him and the same thing keeps happening. They play start playing well once they're not on my team. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'll be the highest scorer. He'll be one of the highest scorers. Oh, he'd have to be. We were, we were standing in the, in the well. press room after the game and we were just looking at his stats. I think he had 10 runs for 140 meters or something. And we just... And when I said, who's got him? Oh, trust me. I know his stats. I was and looking. Uh, <laughs> looked it up on the spreadsheet and he's a free agent and we just couldn't believe it. But um, yep. I think one yep. of the telling things uh, was his interview with the stand crew after the game. And he, he mentioned that earlier in the year, he really struggled with the physicality and the level that Super Rugby's at. And those first few games, he was actually shocked with some of the hits that he was copying and wasn't really able to get his body right into the contest mm. as much because he was struggling with the the physicality level he said mm. he's got he's got used to it now he's gotten over that and he's now just able to play his game and do the things that he can do and he knows what to do from his sevens background and one of the things that i noticed particularly in this game was it's his sevens background that suits him so well on the wing that when he finds himself in space he doesn't panic with the ball he seems to be making the right decisions to keep the ball alive. That the other uh, Waratahs wingers, Nwonga Nidawasi and a few others, just aren't quite able to do. Uh, there was a great play that he broke through. I think it was down the left-hand flank. Uh, finds himself in space and he does this little chip over the top, which was just perfect enough to get over the head of the fullback that was coming across in defense. But bounced in such a way that it bounced into, I think it was Jake Gordon, uh, that was coming through straight into his arms as well. So he has the knack of of keeping calm in those situations and knowing how to keep the ball alive, not necessarily just taking the contact and uh, turning it over because he doesn't have the defense right there on top of him. I know that we mentioned um, 
a couple of other players earlier, but let's just quickly shout out to Mahi Vailanu, who had his run on debut for the Waratahs. He was he was excellent, and I think he should be our reserve hooker moving forward with Dave Parecki as the starting hooker. Um, and Vailanu coming on maybe like 50, 55 minutes into the game. I think that'd be a really good call. He brought a lot of energy, um, great attacking play. His, his strength and drive through the tackle was brilliant. Jed Holloway, again, is just impressing with every start that he's getting. This time he was eating a few malls for breakfast. It was brilliant. Um, and Charlie Gamble continues to be, in my mind, up there with McWright, competing with McWright as the best seven on form in Australian rugby right now. Um, so I don't, I'm not, don't worry, Red Roberts, don't worry, Reds fans. I'm not saying he's better than McWright, although his Mo is. Um, I am simply saying that he is on form equal to and up there with Fraser McWright. Um, and Raboni Warren Vosiaco had a really good game as well in at number eight. I think he was better than Harris, um, has been for the last couple of matches, despite the yellow card that he received. Uh, so all in all, a really good performance from the Waratahs players. Simon, final closing comments before we move on from this game. Then Mitch, you too. Oh, I mean, I feel like we've we've given these guys enough, but uh, <laughs> it's I mean, never <clears> my mate, my, for me, it's. Um, you know, with my girlfriend, this is our first uh, Super Rugby season uh, together, right? And so she's just feeling neglected because I'm sitting there <laughs> watching rugby all weekend, right? And I mean, shout out if she actually decides to listen because I told her I was featuring on a pod, which <laughs> I gotta say thank you guys because it actually makes it seem like I've, I'm actually doing something for something else. She doesn't understand, you know, all the give nuances. you a reason to listen to to watch. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. She, yeah. She doesn't understand the nuances. That you can drive rugby podcasts just helping relationships all over. Oh. Oh, yeah. She yeah. thinks that I must be some kind of rugby expert. Doesn't understand. I just harassed you guys until you let me on. <laughs> uh, but you know, after the game, I was just like, "Oh my god, the Waratahs beat the Crusaders." She's like, I, "I don't understand what you're saying." I was like, "The Waratahs beat the Crusaders. You don't get it." It's like speaking to someone in a foreign language. You just yeah, say it louder yeah. and slower, and they're like, "Oh, no, nah, it didn't didn't quite land." But uh, yeah. that's my final note. So. Good man, good man. <laughs> All right, Mitch. Final comment, my friend. Yeah, I just gotta. It, it's that. It, it's the upset of the year that's being talked up uh, all over the place. But I just got to say the the feeling and the support that the Waratahs are, are generating in the rugby community at the moment is just palpable. So I've seen about four or five different people wearing Waratahs jerseys today, which is Sunday, which you don't ever see play people walking around in jerseys after games. So they really have sparked a bit of interest and a bit of passion from the fans. Great atmosphere at the game. Really, really looking forward to the Hurricanes in two weeks' time. I think from memory that that's the double up with the Indrua and the one of the seven so, game yeah. in the afternoon. So yep. that's going to be an absolute belter of an afternoon. If you are in Sydney, block out your weekend, block out your Saturday because two massive games of rugby. Get to Leichhardt Oval and get behind the boys because... Uh, they have a really good shot against uh, the Hurricanes in a few weeks. Yeah, my birthday is that week, so I'm pretty sure I'll be able to take most of Saturday off and claim that it's my birthday. So very, very keen. Um, all right, team, let's move ahead now to a game that personally I only caught the end of after we got home from um, Leichhardt. So I'm going to have to rely a little bit more on you guys for this match. Um, I did see the final kind of 15 to 20 minutes of the game, no. So Melbourne Rebels getting up 26-22 over Moana Pacifica. A bit of heartbreak at the end for Moana Pacifica with um, 
well, Ray Nu from the Rebels getting a red card for a high shot on Australian national legend and treasure Christian Leliafano. Um, so that was a pretty dog hit after it. But that was his first game back from suspension for yeah, a high yeah. tackle as well. So and I reckon he, that's he's just, just done the done. um the course on tackle technique as well. Yeah. So he yeah. got it taken down from three weeks to two weeks and then he comes oh, straight he's, back and high tackle someone. He zoomed that one in, didn't he? Yeah, he, he so, yeah. had Homer Simpson sunglasses over his, over yeah, his face. Yeah. Um, but so Ray Nuru's season will now be over with suspension. Um, but then Lincoln McClutchy steps up to take the um, kick to touch in the 80th minute of the game. They're only four points behind, searching for an extra time win, and he doesn't find touch, and it wasn't even a hard kick as well. Um, so that's pretty devastating for him. And after he was the one, Carter Gordon comes over and does a Superman tackle and knocks it out of his hands in the corner. He just didn't transfer it to his outside hand when diving in. So Lincoln McClatchy, I feel for the guy. He's um, going to be regretting his involvements in the last couple of minutes of the game. But having a look at these stats, everything's in favour of Moana, and yet the Rebels, the Rebels came away with the win. What do you put that down to, Mitch? Oh, I think the, the Rebels are in a roll. Uh, last week, they didn't get the win against the Crusaders, but they put in a really good performance. Uh, they were in at halftime 7-3 against the team that is the form team of Super Rugby for the last few years. Yes, they leaked, uh, what was it, 30 point, 35, 36 points in the second half, but they also scored a few tries themselves right on full time. So there's belief in this team. that This is a good victory for the Melbourne Rebels up against Moana Pacifica. Uh, it'd be interesting, interesting to see how they they take this and they learn from this and they can build that momentum going forward next week. Uh, but, uh, yeah, really impressed with Carter Gordon. He's going from strength to strength at the moment, and I think he's starting to show, uh, hopefully, um, he's showing the coaches at the Melbourne Rebels what every rugby fan in Australia has seen for the last 18 months, that he's the future. He has talent. You just need to give him game time. Yes, he had one poor game earlier in the year at 10, but he didn't deserve to be dropped completely. Uh, they've now found themselves in the situation with Matt Tamil out with concussion issues that he's the, the go-to man, he's the number 10, and he had some massive involvements this week. Yeah, it's good for the Rebels to also be getting Rob Liotta back for another start. Pony Falmasili came in off the bench, although he got a pretty significant um, hit to the head. So it may well see him out for um, concussion issues for the next match. He he looked pretty bad after that one. Um, he he is put on weight though, and I don't mean in just like fat. I uh, he is a big big guy he's been spending a lot of time in in his time away just bulking up um, yeah i did see him down in melbourne last weekend just around the stadium hanging around and he looks he's looking big he's looking big i hope he can keep um some of the pace that he's shown previously but it might still mean that he's that kind of 40 minute wonder where he's gonna play the first half be absolutely devastating and then not be able to take to the field again. In the it's a shame half. that we don't get to see the Queensland Reds play the Melbourne Rebels again this year because how good was it a few years ago when we had the the twenty two oh the goal line dropouts when the Reds yeah. would kick it to Pone and he just charge it up and Harry Wilson would be on the other end and they just immovable object against brick wall and let's see what happens. <laughs> there was that massive one where him and Tupo ran into each other at the sideline. It was just like bang, bang off one another. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Tupo out. like yeah. bounced off and then just launched Yeah, and then came back in. Again. Yeah, it was awesome to see. I ran into Pony uh, in Perth, um, him and a few of the, uh, I think him, Valentini, 
um, and Leota were all having some drinks out, and they were they were just some big boys. Hey? Yeah, yeah, big guys. But look, hopefully he he comes back from an injury or that potential head knock and is able to play this coming weekend. Um, but Andrew Kellaway got his first try in seven games, so good for him to break that drought. Hopefully he can bag a few more over the coming weeks. But overall, it was just a. Uh, a continued improved performance from the Melbourne Rebels. Um, unfortunately, I didn't see enough of the game to really make much of a comment on Moana Pacifica's performance. Does anybody want to jump in and help me out here with a bit of commentary or analysis about Moana? Oh, I think it's just the narrative of the season, unfortunately. The, the stop start nature of their year, in initial year in Super Rugby, and they've had, what, four games cancelled. They're just not able to get the momentum and the time together to build that cohesive factor. So... They've, they've got a squad of something like 46 players that they've used this year so far. Um, not all of them at super rugby level. So I, I don't think we can really expect them to be able to hang into games, particularly when they're tied at the end, and have players step up with the experience and the calm head to be able to, to ice those those moments. Uh, it's, it's a massive ask, and it's unfortunate that their season has been so, so stop-start, but... I'm really looking forward to seeing how they go next year. Uh, it, it's yep. it's almost like we just need to, in some ways, write off the rest of this year for them and just take the learnings that will come from those last few games. But recruit well in the off-season, get back together as a squad and uh, build into 2023 and see if they can really give this comp a shake. Yep. Um, any final comments, Simon, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say with, with Moana, I mean it's a tough ask to come and play in the New Zealand conference and then to have to play, you know, as many games as they had in the amount of time they had. Mm. Um, a lot of their team is, they've only really had half the matches that the rest of the teams have had to get to know one another because they've had to basically have two different lineups because they've had these mid-game um, matches. It's like four-day turnarounds and stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of their team is like, you know, we're at this part of the comp, but a lot of their team has only played together half the amount of times because of the, all their games have been so frequent. Um, and I, I did watch a bit of the highlights for this one. Like I said, I, I did have to uh, pull myself away from the screen because uh, you have you to know, find those can't, can't spend the whole weekend watching the rugby. But uh, I saw that there was one try for Moana that was uh, disallowed, but it stood for a long time with a TMO. I was taking an interest because I have a couple of uh, Moana players in my fantasy side. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, Levi Amua whose uh, yep. try was taken away. So I didn't actually see what that was about. Did anyone uh, see No, I there? didn't catch that, unfortunately. No, yeah. I missed that bit as well. Um, I saw the Carter Gordon uh, highlight. That was, a, that was a crazy... That was great. Yeah, that was awesome, the way that he came in there. Um, yeah, hopefully he's... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say for Moana. I think you've got to remember that they've, they've beat the Hurricanes and no one expected either uh, Fiji or Moana to come in and get a game uh, win in their first season. So I think, you know, despite everything that's happened, they've, they've played really well. Mm. Um, and you know the rebels. I hate to say that they're playing well, but they're they're playing well at the moment. So <laughs> they are. They have definitely stepped up since the horrific yeah. start to the season that they yeah, had. Well, unfortunately, they've made the force the worst Aussie team now. So. <laughs> Uh, well, um, why, don't, why don't we move on to yeah, the really. <laughs> story then, which was the Brumbies playing today, Sunday at 2pm at GIO Stadium against the Hurricanes and running away, convincing winners 42 to 25. Now, um, by no stretch of the imagination was this an easy match. It was only in the uh, final... Yeah, last 20. Yeah, last 20 or so even. that they got a couple of tries. Yeah. Um, 
and it, it, it was it was tight. It was definitely tight. Um, and there were some points where the wide attack, particularly down the 13 channel of the Hurricanes, was really causing some problems for the Brumbies and they were making some, the Canes were making easy metres on the outside. But yet again, the Brumbies forwards fronted up and really were combative with the Hurricanes and provided some great opportunities for their back line to um, just exert themselves. But... Look, I can't talk about this game anymore without focusing on Bobby Valentino oh, with one wow. of the best magical tries in Super Rugby. Um, Simon, talk us through your reaction when you saw that try unfolding on the screen in front of you. Oh, I mean, the commentators did such a good job. It was almost like it was in slow motion. I mean, Valentini, you, when you see a forward kick, you know, I mean, I still play rugby and if I try and kick the ball, I get told <laughs> off, you know, us forwards aren't meant to do that. And and he kicked the ball and you go, oh, you know, that's a that's actually in some space. That's not a bad kick. And then, oh, wait, he's... He's winning he's the chase. Race. And then, yeah. And then, you know, you see, you almost, um, if you rewatch it, you see like the uh, the winger for the Canes just um, kind of half jogging, not expecting Bobby to to put in the uh, the run that he does. And then you yeah. see him kind of panic and go, oh my God, like I really need to put it in now <laughs> and come across. But I mean, you couldn't write that stuff. The way that he was just in the middle of, of three hands, just leaning forward for it. And he just, <laughs> and he just came over the top. It was, it was a special thing to see. I think yeah. I saw a really good tweet of someone saying like cue chariots of fire uh, music over the top of it because it, it was just like one of those moments, you know, at yeah. the, at the uh, finish line, someone just trying to push their chest through the, the ribbon. <laughs> um, look, it, it was awesome to see and you know that's going to be on a highlight package and it's going to feature on Rugby Heaven when they go to air um, later this week. So very much looking forward to them talking that point up. Uh, but with that being said, the, the early game was um, pretty back and forth even. Um, it was 3-0, 3-3, 6-3, 9-3, 9-8. 910 like it 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 was back and forth in the early stages Justin Sangster got a pretty soft yellow card for a hit on Nick White just after he um, distributed the ball a little bit soft um mm. Jerome Brown got a yellow card as well um but those were the only moments of like semi ill discipline and at the end of the first half it was 16 13 to the Brumbies a very very close match um but then the Canes actually pulled ahead with the try to Celesi Rayasi which I immediately thought oh no here we go Kiwi team scoring after the break now now the brakes are off and they're just going to go absolutely crazy and run away with this match. And then two minutes later, Lockie Onigan goes over for a try. Um, and the Brumbies then just pull away convincingly from here. Well, if you look at that 10-minute period after Lonergan goes over at 47, you have Brown go over at 52 and then Banks at 57. It was three tries in 10 minutes by the Brumbies. Yep. It was just yep. bang, 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 which... Uh, you know, you're watching and you're like, yes, good. <laughs> it's one of the things that uh, I'm really liking about this Brumbies outfit this year is that they seem to be thinking about the way that the Kiwis actually play rugby and the minutes in the game when they have their impact. So the five minutes mm. before before and after half time is when the Kiwis typically score their points and, and create those leads that the Australian teams aren't able to hold on to. We saw that in this game, as you said, Ando, uh, straight after halftime, they, the Canes score. But the Brumbies score two, three quick tries after that to keep within it. They finished the last 20 minutes incredibly strong. That's when the Brumbies took it to the next level and took it, the game away from the Hurricanes. So 
we've seen some really great performances across this weekend and I'm going to I'm going to take it. I'm going to say that the Rebels against Moana Pacifica is an Australian victory over a New Zealand team because we need to do it. Uh, but three victories in one round against New Zealand opposition is a fantastic win for Australian rugby. But the Brumbies are still the team that is the only team at the moment that are consistently putting in the performances in the championship minutes that typically the New Zealand teams have been winning in the previous years. Yep. Yep. And look, the Brumbies are, they've have stepped up in the ways that we were hoping the Reds would be able to. Um, and mm. so I'm really, really pleased with the fact that the Brumbies are being able to be those, um, fla- the flag bearers for Australian rugby alongside the Waratahs. <laughs> How good is it to say that? Um, but alongside the Tars, in basically just going, look, this so far, we've got three wins against New Zealand teams within the Super Rugby competition. And it is the second round of the crossovers. Whereas last season, what was it? Two wins for the entirety of the yeah. comp. Yeah. Um, so already in round two, we're ahead and of where we were last season. And there's just something that's so exciting about, about that because I think that too, it's too easy a narrative to talk up the Kiwi teams and talk down the Aussie teams and say we're nowhere near as good as them. Whereas this is giving us the start of a bit of hope that actually our teams are improving. And I don't think it's inherently that the Kiwi teams aren't better, although the Crusaders are definitely a bit off. Um, But I think it's also speaking to improvement within our teams. And that's just just really encouraging. I don't expect us to wipe the floor with Kiwi teams moving forward. Don't get me wrong. Um, They're definitely, in my mind, going to come out on top of the ledger with more wins and losses against Aussie teams. But we're we're going in the right direction. And I think for me as a rugby fan, when I go on social media and I start to see some of the comments around the results this weekend particularly, when you go back last year, Australian rugby was a laughing stock across the ditch. And even when we did get those victories, that Reds and Chiefs game last year, the Kiwis chalked that off to the red card to Damian McKenzie and said that was the only reason the Reds were able to win that game. And so they had excuses. But this week, when you look at the result and you see the comments on the Waratahs and Crusaders posts, everyone across both sides of the ditch are just saying the Waratahs played incredible this week. The Crusaders were off. The Waratahs deserved it. Uh, I don't think I've seen any comments saying that the the Hurricanes were hard done by or the Brumbies didn't deserve that victory either. So it's all of a sudden the narrative is changing, and even Mm. we're starting to hear it from the Kiwi players themselves. I can't remember if it was the Crusaders or even the Hurricanes this afternoon in their game in one, one of the post-match interviews. But one of the um, the players said in their interview that this is a really tough competition. It's getting tight. The Australian teams are putting up a good challenge and it's going to be a fight come the last few rounds of this competition, which yep. from a player's perspective is awesome to hear because as a fan, it's great that Australian teams are competing. But if the players themselves are out there and actually feeling the physicality that the Australian teams are bringing and the competitiveness that they're out there on the field, um, that's a massive win and that's a massive step forward that Australian rugby just hasn't been able to take in the last few years. Yeah, well, it's definitely a crisis in New Zealand rugby. I mean, they, they haven't won a super, <laughs> super game like at all during the month of May. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> 
sack, love that. Sack the coach. Sack the coaches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they need to drop a team. It's, I mean, it's time, you know. The thing about New Zealand rugby you got to remember is they, they can put together a good 15 when it comes to the All Blacks. So, we you know, we should expect them still to be competitive when it comes to the Bledisloe. I mean, do we need them? Uh, no, really I mean, for me, it's like, I level. can't do it. I, I can't do it anymore, you know. I've, I've hoped every year, you know, that I'm like, oh, my God, I get excited. So I'm still, I'm still sitting there, like, you know, a little bit iffy about how things are going. I'm trying yeah. not to get my hopes up because I've gone my hopes up so many times before and I've just been heartbroken. But it's, it's the hope that, that kills you. It's yeah, the hope. absolutely. Yep. And it's yep. uh, super, but the good thing is Super Rugby Pacific, it's the first, you know, season of it officially. And it's, it's turning to be so far a uh, competitive competition. But I mean, I'm looking at some of the, the people leaving. I mean, potentially with the Brumbies, they're talking about Nick White, Noah Lalesio, Simone, uh, Banks, um, Nick Frost. You know, it makes me a little bit worried moving forward because when you see these teams start to click and actually do well it, it's like next year is going to be a rebuild for the brumbies which is a little bit upsetting to think about it's all right the tars yeah. will win it next year yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. careful you um, new south wales is showing what a, mate that's never been in question on this pod. <laughs> don't you worry um a couple of quick th- stats i might just point out before we move on because we've been talking for a very long time already yeah. and although it's good we we've, do need to we've spoken more than most pods in this one section <laughs> um so we've got some awesome stats here like Ire simoni had 17 tackles throughout the match robbie valentini 16 um to go with that incredible kick that he made and the try that he scored um, it was just awesome to see the defensive effort that he was putting in. Um, Lenny Ikatel, interestingly, eight tackles, but had three missed tackles, which just shows the um, amount of traffic that they were putting down his line because he's a solid, solid defender. So for him to be missing three just shows the, the difficulty that he was having with the amount of options he was having to decide between. It was between. a attack, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm not saying he had a bad game, but just um, there was a lot of work coming down his channel. Um, So overall, really big result here for the Brumbies. Super well done. Although as Tars fans, aren't we meant to hate the Brumbies? I don't know. All I know is that I'm happy when Australian teams are getting up. Any flag. Yeah, exactly. Any Aussie flag flag that's winning. Um, So ladies and gents. Yeah, oh, they, the, Republic. Republic. <laughs> the Republic. The Republic. Let's just quickly run through yeah, this, this coming weekend, just for those who are wondering what's yeah, coming up. Super so fast. The people Friday who are night, still listening. Yeah, Friday night we've got Super Rugby. Uh, sorry, Friday night we've got the Blues hosting the Rebels at Eden Park. We then go back to Suncorp Stadium for the Reds and the Highlanders. Saturday afternoon we have Moana, Moana Pacifica hosting the Waratahs at Mount Smart Stadium, which will be a, a really interesting game to see how they go. Uh, back at home in New Zealand, we then have uh, in the afternoon game in New Zealand, Chiefs hosting the Brumbies, and then late that night, Western Force hosting the Crusaders over at HBF Park in Perth. Uh, and then Sunday night, uh, Sunday afternoon to round out the, the competition, we have the Hurricanes hosting the Fijian in Drua at Sky Stadium. Awesome. Well, thanks for quickly tracking through those. Why don't we have a quick break now and then we head into the locker room. Let's do it. All right, we're now moving into the locker room. We're going to do a speed round of the locker room, see how quickly we can get in, change and out uh, because we've been talking for a while and we want to go and celebrate the Waratahs win. Even Simon will be celebrating Waratahs win again For the 58th time. Um, For the 58th time. (laughs) 
It's gone up already. We've watched it three times whilst doing this pod. Yep. Uh, so Hugh Tyndall on Twitter asks, how many beers should or did DC let the team have after the win? Well, according to his comments, which you probably won't be catching before the presser um, footage begins, they will have had a it, lot. No, it's actually, it's um, on there. It is on there. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Even the, okay. the, the, the cheeky little left bomb that he drops as well. Oh, good. Okay, yep. I didn't edit that one out. That's fun. Um, okay, so very quickly, wing spots seem wide open without Corin Bete auto pick. How do you see it playing out based on current form? Simon, who are the wings for the Wallabies if you're picking it right now? Oh, are we allowed to bring overseas players in? Because Corin um, Bete has been so playing Corin well. Bete, yes, just say he's in there. Yeah, he's in there. Uh, I think Wright's been good. Uh, I'd probably, probably put him in there. Okay, cool. Um, so let's move now into is Gamble playing better than McWright? We've kind of forgotten about Tizano now. Hey, harsh world. Mitch? Uh, no, he's playing really, really well, but I don't think he's he's topping McWright at the moment. He's also not even eligible. He's not eligible until October next year. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's but also the point the where they're that's playing the slightly different roles as well in like Gamble is a bit more defensive, whereas McWright is showing some awesome um, running game opportunities within the loose. He's doing incredibly well there over the last I will, I will say one thing that Gamble has probably shown what is the most effective technique at an open side flanker is just having a massive bit of facial hair because it just drags you down over the ball. Yeah, good it's point. It's just that like that anchor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yep, smart, top. smart. Um, okay, cool. Uh, Thallium, can the force get a win against these Kiwi teams? Simon? Stranger things have happened. Uh, you know, we'll see how the Highlanders continue to track along, but who expected the Waratahs to beat the Crusaders? So I'm going to say yes, but uh, unlikely. Cool, thank you. Jock Cudmore, my question is unfortunately a negative one. Has there been an increase in players staying down and doing the whole neck turn, face grab to try and get a penalty or TMO involvement? Case in point, Geordie Barrett. Yeah, that actually was pretty noticeable today. Uh, the increase seems to have happened after the French player in Brisbane last year. Mitch? Um, look, I think it's just the world we live in at the moment that the referees are rewarding that kind of play. And yeah, I do think there is an element of it. Uh, we... We have seen some cases where a player does get a glancing blow and does hold down until it's it's picked up by the TMO or the referee. So I do think we're in a, in a situation at the moment where it's being rewarded. Agreed. Okay, moving on still. Uh, Thallium also asked, can Fox and SMH be stopped from posting a thousand articles this week about how Kiwi rugby is dead and the Wallabies are guaranteed the bled is low? Uh, no. No, they can't. And it's also going to be silly if they do do it because uh, let's enjoy this moment whilst we can, but recognize there's still a long way to go for Australian rugby. Clickbait um, titles, gentlemen. They exactly. want people to click on the articles and that's Trust what they are. Me. So if you don't want them to write the articles, don't click on them. Well, look, uh, enjoy the title of this pod, whatever it's going to be. You know, it will be clickbait. <laughs> um, so uh, what I also want to ask as a final one from Thallion before he signs off and Simon, this will go to you. Is the gap closing or is it just a lucky, lucky week? Well, I mean, you have to say the gap is closing. We've, we've already beaten our record from last year. Um, and I think Australian teams have, have shown up that they, that they can uh, play against the Kiwi opposition and it's, mm. it's great to see. And I think we'll just have to continue to watch. That's the main thing. What's the, what's a turinary line? The uh, body of work. Body of so work. we need to continue to watch. We need to continue to see if this gap is closing. But thus far, you, you can't say it's not, you know? Yep. And yep. I actually have a question for you guys, uh, yes. which you guys aren't prepared for, is three does not go into two and you have Edmund and you have Harrison and you have Donaldson. What is going on with the future of the Waratahs fly half? Uh, Mitch, you're right if I take this one. Go for it. 
Um, Harrison will be 15 slash second playmaker. Um, Edman and Donaldson will fight it out for the 10 jersey, I reckon. And then eventually one of them will move on. Um, but for now, I think we can fit both of them, all, all of them in, all of them in the squad, all of them within the match day 23. That's my opinion on that one. Um, Mitch, Ben Van der Linden asked on Twitter, if you were the head marketing pigeon at Rugby Australia, what's your move to capitalize on the most successful Trans-Tasman weekend in recent history? Just keep showing the highlights. Just every time yeah. I open my phone, I want to see uh, Dylan Peach going over for that absolute screamer of a try uh, at Leichhardt Oval. I just want to see it on every single outlet, every single time I touch my phone. Yep, completely agree. I think the main highlight we need is Bobby Valentini. Oh, yeah. and that one as well. Yeah. yeah. Yep, 100%. Um, why don't we now shift across to Simon? Vintage Red 25 asks, have the Reds gone from the best Australian team to the worst? Uh, sorry, you're talking to a Western Force fan here. So we uh, we got to win at something and we're winning at being the worst so far. So no. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, Ed Morton on Facebook asks, do you think that with the results over the weekend, three wins and three close losses, Australian rugby franchises and Australian rugby general is starting to close the gap? Look, like I said before, uh, yeah, to an extent, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's um, make sure that we can back it up in the coming week or two, um, especially with a couple of the away games that we'll be having soon. So hopefully we can continue the quality performances and maybe even sneak a couple more wins. Uh, Lincoln Adler asks, how good was Atar's win? And who do we want at number eight? He says Harrison, but I'm sure he means Will Harris here. Yeah. Or Raboni warren Vosiako. So Mitch, I'll throw this one to you. Um, I would start Harris... Will Harris and bring Raboni off the bench. And a quick explanation as to why? Uh, I just think that Harris at the moment has more involvement and, and a bigger body of work, as the old Morgan there we go. Guy, uh, <laughs> says, for uh, for selection to start. And I think uh, Raboni has a great ability to influence the game. Like yep. he can have some good involvements, but I just don't see him having the impact across the 60 minutes that we've seen Will Harris have this year. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, personally, I think Harris hasn't had his same impact in the last couple of games, so I'm pretty happy with Raboni starting. Um, but look, it's, it's great to have those options at number eight and to be able to have a genuine competition within that spot. Uh, moving quickly back to a question that came in from Craig Fitzgerald. What percentage of penalties from scrums are occurring these days? It seems every second scrum is a penalty, most of it for very trivial things the ref is generally guessing on anyway. I actually threw this along to Brendan and Shields from Rugby Ecology, who replied with depends on the level, but 38% was last year, 58% of them are resets. It is a beep show. So um, <laughs> there is still an issue going on within the scrums. And I think it's something that can be talked about at a later point. Michael Gardner asks, is it just me or is a rule of bound players not being allowed to go to ground and must stay on their feet, no longer being enforced like it was at the start of the Super Rugby Pacific? Simon? Um, I'm not too sure. I'm, I think that's I the really the noticed latch. it too much. That's the, yeah, it's the latch, the latch yeah. you know, and the, the pre latch before the ball gets to the pod. And that's the thing I personally would say, uh, it is not being enforced anywhere near as much because I've noticed it a bunch of times and they were calling it up at the start and it hasn't been as big of a thing recently. It's fascinating to see, it's just head refs. contact that's the focus at the moment. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, um, I, I will say another rule that they're not officiating at the moment, and I don't know why, is uh, keeping body height at the breakdown or, or staying on your feet. The Crusaders killed mm. the ball at nearly every breakdown. The Waratahs did it once and got pinged for it. So come on. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of sealing off in that yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. 
Yep. Um, we have a comment here from Hannah Erickson. My sister Lucy texted me after the Tars game saying, geez, those pick and drive boys are going to be happy. Yes, yes, we are. So thanks for thinking of us, Lucy and Hannah. So my question is, how hungover are you today? Well, unfortunately, in some ways, both Mitch and I were very responsible. Uh, we both drove out to Leichhardt because public transport to get there sucks. Um, so we had to drive afterwards. So we had a few games, a few beers uh, beforehand and a couple at the game, but enough that we were okay. To We've also got media access this year so we try to keep it a bit civil and we want to be invited <laughs> i was wondering that year. do you guys walk in slosh just like oh yeah the boys um uh, this week was a lot more chatty than previous weeks um, there was a good vibe in the media box this week yeah and it, i think it was mostly us just having a chat about the game so uh but yeah we weren't able to get to too loose um unfortunately in some ways but thanks for the comment again uh lucy erickson asked do you think the reds are psyching themselves out is there hope for them to return to how they were performing pre-crossover granted they'll still continue to have people out with injuries mitch uh, psyching themselves out. It, it does feel at the moment like the Reds are actually getting inside their heads a little bit and starting to overthink situations. And I, I really do think that just comes with the inexperienced side that they've got, the injuries they've they've had, their key players, Liam Wright, uh, James O'Connor, not not being fit and, and available for selection is having massive issues across the board. So, um, yeah, I think they really are struggling with that mental uh, that mental edge and, and just being able to stay within games and, and just focusing on the next task and turning it back in their favor. Well, I read that uh, James O'Connor said that he thinks his injury is going much faster than they originally planned and he should be back a lot sooner than planned. And Bataille was only kept out this week just for a slight amount of tightness along with Vunavalu. So yeah. we should be seeing their back line at least coming back to a somewhat normality towards the end. I guess the, the, the thing is, will they remain in the top eight for long enough? Mm. Yeah, and questions. when we look at next week, uh, the Reds have the are playing. I'm just scrolling up. The Reds are playing the Highlanders, so they've got a yeah. good shot there mm. against that. But the Waratahs are also playing Moana Pacifica, so if the Waratahs can secure a, a bonus point win against that, they probably jump the Reds, um, yep. which is massive, absolutely massive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you got to say the Highlanders got to, the Highlanders have to get a win, you know, like if they yep. don't, the season's over. I mean, essentially at this point, it's looking like it is, but they will be targeting this Reds game heavily. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, look, a lot of permutations that can be coming over the following games and is incredibly exciting to see the matches unfold. Big questions, obviously, over the Reds and um, I think also the force, how they're going to be able to continue to step up and will they be, able, they be able to get a game against the Kiwi opposition? And will the Crusaders be able to bounce back and step um, up in a way that we expect them to as the championship top side that they are? So let's finish things up there. It has been a mammoth pod, but for anybody who knows us, that is completely unsurprising when you have the Waratahs getting up with a win like they did. So thank you so much if you made it for this part of pod. Thanks for getting involved and staying with us. It has been a pleasure. Simon, it's been an absolute awesome experience having you on. I hope you've enjoyed it. I just want to say a shout out to my team, the Nomads. Yes. Just yeah. got to say one for the guys. Just got to say one for the guys. The Nettie's Nomads. Love you boys. If you've listened to the podcast, we're going to get more wins. Good. Get them Good to hear. To the podcast. And if people listening. do want to kind of follow you or hear any more about your wonderful Western Force opinions, where would they be able to follow you on social media? Oh, man, I'm not really that big on it. I've only just started using the Twitter for the whole thing, but usually I just got my opinion in my head. Sorry, I'm allowed to swear on the pod <laughs> no, podcast. No, probably not, but we'll that's fine. Yeah, my bad. We'll, we'll edit this part out. Um, 
<clears throat> Cut. Okay. Uh, if you want to find me, I'll be on Twitter at, at Smoky Clouds, and I'll probably be uh, using it a little bit more now that I've featured in the number one Australian rugby podcast. Oh, how good. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's not true, but that's very kind of you. Well, that's what I told my girlfriend to make it seem like I did something good. So. <laughs> well, mate, it's been a pleasure having you on. Mitch, been good chatting with you as always. As always. Thanks for coming on. And ladies and gentlemen, it's been great. Have a wonderful week, and I'm looking forward to being able to do another two-hour pod talking about us second Waratahs win against Kiwi opposition next week. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.